0: Sponsor Six Connect automates network provisioning in a DevOps-friendly way. Six Connect's Provision platform delivers workflows, resource management, DNS and DHCP controllers, IPAM, and more, all with an API-first mentality. Find out more about Six Connect's Provision at sixconnect.com with the number six slash packet. That's sixconnect.com with the number six slash packet.
1: Welcome to the IPv6 Buzz podcast, where we dare to dive into the 128-bit address space wormhole. Quick reminder, there's sponsorship opportunities available for IPv6 Buzz and the other Packet Pusher podcast shows. So if you're interested, just go to packetpushers.net slash sponsorship. You can get all the details. And uh, if you've got something really cool working with v6, we definitely want to hear from you. So reach out, let us know. We'll be uh, more more than happy to chat about it. (laughs) I'm Ed Horley with my co-host, Tom Cuffin and Scott Hogan. Today, we're going to be talking about IPv6 proof of concept labs, like what's in with all of that. So let's jump in, you guys. (laughs) Let's talk. I guess the first question is, is there any value in having a proof of concept lab at all (laughs) for v6? Is this something you should be doing? Or is there something else we should be doing? Or is a proof of concept lab like a must do on on everyone's list? What's the feelings there? If your
2: vendor told you that they support IPv6, you can take them at their word and just go deploy it and everything will work. (laughs) Okay, <laughs> yeah,
3: I guess you can just figure out what configs you need to put into the the, the production devices, you know, at that time. Yeah, just do it on the uh, fly. Just just
2: question mark. <laughs> <laughs> Tab complete. <laughs> Tag complete. You figure it out. It's not hard. I, just in case there's somebody who's irony challenged out there or sarcasm challenged. We are being totally sarcastic right now.
3: <laughs> If the sarcasm uh, flag in the JSON (laughs) XML (laughs) body of the text wasn't obvious. (laughs) All right, let's state the
1: Uh, obvious. uh, Yes, you need a proof of concept. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
3: And uh, I guess a proof of concept lab could fulfill several purposes. It could prepare those configs that you'll eventually put into your change request and go into production. But you might need to learn a little bit before then or or test, test products, trust but verify, I guess, but then um, your vendors, but then just to goof around and hack around and tinker and learn, I think it could facilitate your learning at the very beginning, then testing products and seeing if you have any issues that might prevent you from deploying. and then, just before implementation, finalize getting the configs just right that you're going to go and actually implement.
1: Right. Yeah, actually test it. But I, I guess one of the other things is is maybe a lot of folks aren't thinking about it. There's a whole new set of technologies that you're going to introduce in this concept lab. Besides just the networking protocol itself, you're going to have to introduce a whole set of trans, usually typically some sort of translation sets of technologies, right? You're going to need you know, a whole new set of things that you're providing there. And you really want to test and validate those out before you're, you're thinking about rolling anything into production. Right. So those are going to be a net new set of services that probably will come along. So I think the perfect concept is really key critical in actually validating that your design's going to work the way you think it is. Right. And then you're not going to fall on your face um, uh, when you, t- when you decide to actually deploy, that uh, you know, you have something that actually will work. I, okay. guess, I guess that's all. Purpose of a proof of concept.
0: Right? <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> You're proving out that you can actually get this stuff to operate the way you think it can and, and that it behaves the way that you think mm-hmm. it should. I, I guess those are the other things.
3: Yeah. So I guess those are great questions, Ed. Like, what needs to be in the POC lab? And then what, you know, and how should it be connected or where should it be located?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like it's it's one of those challenges where it's like you can build stuff in a vacuum, but that doesn't do, do you much good if you don't know how it's going to integrate in with what you're already operating and you know doing within your network today. And I think those are yeah, that's completely legitimate. I, I it's I think the resource side can be really hard for folks because you may or may not have a budget to be able to do some of this stuff. I don't I we're not i we not going to talk finances, but you know that's part of the challenges. What you know are are the things that you're going to do in your proof of concept reflecting of what you would actually spend for putting into your production network, right?
2: I think that's true, and then also the uh, you know really triaging what what you need to uh, test in a proof of concept network uh, that because not not all the risks associated with adopting IPv6 are equal, and they're especially not equal depending on the network environment that you that you happen to be operating, and you may have you know, you may not be too worried that your routers and switches are going to support IPv6. I mean, that's pretty, there's pretty robust support there. And if the vendor says that the support is there and, you know, the, the, but that's that's a pretty trivial case of deployment, right? I mean, we have, we know a lot of shops, it's like they turn IPv6 on in the core. And they're like, hey, we're done. We adopted IPv6. And you know, of course, that's the easy part. But so that, you know, maybe that's not what you, maybe that's not what you need to test. You know, maybe you've got a handle on that. But the question is, I've got some apps at the edge, uh, you know, on premise or maybe they're connected out to the cloud. I've got to figure out what those application flows are and then design something, you know, and it doesn't have to, it doesn't necessarily have to match perfectly because we have this, you know, feature and functional parity uh, sort of distinction in IPv6 that in some cases I think we can manage to finagle together some components that get us close enough to what we're, you know, trying to test end to end as it exists in the production network uh, but yeah, I think you you may have to do some sort of risk assessment. Like you know, what is the stuff that I'm really scared about breaking, and how do I test that? What that's because that's the stuff that's going to go into the proof of concept lab and really you know show me prove the value of the POC by being able to test those those mission critical applications mm-hmm. or whatever it happens to be. Yeah. yeah, I think in
3: the early phase of a POC lab. You could probably start with just some hand-me-down equipment, you know, mm-hmm. some, yeah. an old server, uh, you know, a, an older server doesn't have to have a lot of memory, a lot of compute. Maybe it it was something that aged out of your production environment. Now it's waiting to be e-recycled, you know, and you could just, you know, freshen it up with maybe a little bit more memory or a new version of the software or something like that. You could just go with just a few simple routers, an ethernet switch split up into vlans some compute environment um you know at a, when maybe a hypervisor and you know and so early on if you're just tinkering you might not need a real refined structure or even the topology doesn't have to match your real topology you're just in the learning phase kicking the tires right and then i think later on you may want to get the it, the versions are really important. You know, IPv6, it's just software, right? (laughs) So you want to have the software versions the same. So, oh, we have this enterprise-grade firewall and we bought the big chassis firewall for internet perimeter or data center. Well, hey, the exact same version of the software runs on a little tiny fanless version that could go into a lab. We don't need the, the big version. We just need the, we don't need the big hardware. We can go with the smaller hardware as long as the software and the features are there that match what the big one has in production. So
1: you might yeah, be that, able that, to make some that, wise investments there. Right. And that might be an intermediate phase. I think you, at the final phase, you're going to have to sort of do a one-for-one because if you're mm-hmm. actually running like a dual stack, you you may not know impacts of like your total route tables. You may not know impacts of your forwarding considerations. And like,
3: mm-hmm.
1: does this work on every single line card <laughs> right.
3: mm-hmm.
1: yeah. or ubiquitous across the board? And so that's a, that's maybe a testing and validation phase that would happen at the end with your proof mm-hmm. of concept lab, maybe, um, or it might be that you get you you may be using this as part of a refresh for your production network, and so you're mm-hmm. going in and actually you might before you turn on your production network net new on new gear, you might be like let's test all the v6 features on this thing uh, before we, we you know we we turn it loose uh, for for quote unquote production mm-hmm. and actually. A validation testing uh, across it so i think that's one of the other things to sort of consider when you're looking at a proof of concept there's different phases that your proof of concept lab is going to exist in mm-hmm. i guess is what we're saying right mm-hmm. and that early on discovery and learning you're going to have more of a formalized like we need to have something that actually matches what we're running and then mm-hmm. you you might have a later stage of like testing and validation that's going on that the your proof of concept lab is, is actually being used to validate what you're going to deploy and that you're not going to break mm-hmm. your network as a, as a result of doing that. Yeah. So there's probably a life cycle within the proof of concept lab as you're moving sort of forward and backwards within your project.
2: And then the um, team that set up the proof of concept lab gets mad at you for messing up the configs and breaking the proof of concept <laughs> lab. Because like, <laughs> now the lab is production?
3: <laughs> <That's> right.
1: <laughs> we know. right. Well, or your production is your lab, so depending on which direction <laughs> you're going in. <laughs> right? it's. Yeah. Yeah. It could be both ways. I, I think we've all seen that, and mm-hmm. I don't think that's unique uh, among mm-hmm. among many organizations. Is that they use a portions of their production to actually test, test and validate things. That's that's. I
2: think and sometimes you know, management even knows about that.
1: Yes. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> or they tell you to go do that because there's no budget, right? So that's right. Um,
2: they know about it
3: on Monday morning.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's I I think that's funny because it is one of the challenges of runner-proof concept lab. It's often there's no budget or or there's very mm-hmm. little budget unless mm-hmm. people are actually explicitly planning around this sort of stuff as as a as a plan. So that's gonna be mm-hmm. one of your challenges is setting but we really feel like it's critical that you get a proof of concept lab operating. It's a, even, a, even a rudimentary one is going to help you uh, tremendously in order to work out all the bugs and details about mm-hmm. how to use v6. Yeah.
3: I know an organization that's planning a, a wireless LAN controller update, mm-hmm. and they have just received the hardware, and they're in the process of setting it up and considering IPv6 as part of that net new deployment. Perfect time to test it. Yeah, before that that gear goes into live. production. Before it yeah. goes live, mm-hmm. kick the tires. Make a V6 only SSID. A, you know, a dual protocol. Try and get the access points to join to the uh, join to the controllers over V6 only. Try and do everything V6 only as much as possible, and see where there are V4 dependencies. You know, really try and push it. Before it gets into production, but they have a, a short window, you know, right. to test there. So that's an opportunity where you might be actually using production gear, prepping configs for the future, you know. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say something else about the, you know, what needs to be in a POC lab. You know, you need DNS services. You might need a, a virtual version of whatever DNS service you use. And you might want one or two. One, maybe have dual protocol DNS and see how that works. And then maybe a V6 only DNS resolver or authoritative name server. Maybe you need web services. Let's say, you know, pick your favorite web services, NGINX or Apache or Tom, you know, Tomcat, IIS.net. You'll have those running on different virtual instances and see how they work. Dual, V6 only. And you may have... uh, you know, host operating systems that are representative of what you have in your server farms or desktop environments have virtualized versions of those running in dual stack. And when you and we talk about dual stack, you may run those desktop, virtualized desktops in Slack with the O flag doing stateless DHCPv6 or stateless with RDNSS, DNSSL or DHCP v6, and you'll need a DHCP v6 server, you know, you may all, run them all the above. Or run v6 only, and then see what the operating system behaviors like in these different environments. And you can create different VLANs if you just had a basic Ethernet switch and a router with a, that one queue trunk, like a, a one armed router, you know, and you could build out each one of these parallel
1: environments to test those different cases. Yeah, I mean let's let's talk let's dive in and talk about that a little bit because there's some technical considerations when you're building your perfect concept lab and I think one of the challenges that many people run into is like well, it's, it's what do I actually need to test? What do I need to actually build in order to be successful about knowing anything about V6? And, and dual stack is the obvious answer for, for a lot of consideration for this. Mm-hmm. But many people are using their proof of concept labs for multiple things, not just for testing V6 as a protocol, but for testing applications that they might be deploying on an ongoing basis. They might be using it to test and validate that host operating systems are behaving, that upgrades are working. So there may be just more than you as a team working on V6 with within this environment. And I think there's, There's technical considerations you have to sort of think about as you're you're going to that environment, which is, can I automate some of the work that I'm doing to allow us to switch from maybe V4 only to dual stack to V6 only and allow the team to be able to do that? Because obviously a V6 only environment isn't super useful for a team that's trying to test out their V4 only application. Mm-hmm. Figure out what's going on, but you don't want to rebuy like all of the hardware. Maybe you do, but you don't want to rebuy all of the hardware. And so, how quickly, how agile can you be, and what what sort of compromises can you have to sort of support all of the need requirements around that? I think that's a I think that's a technical challenge for a lot of folks uh, to figure that out. Uh, and I don't know if you guys have any specific thoughts about it, but I think that's one of the things that. It comes up in many of the conversations we have with customers. Is it's sort of like, hey, what's what's the best way to sort of tackle
2: this? Well, it seems like a good way to to marry two in, in important initiatives. You know, I mean, a lot of organizations are exactly trying to figure out how to to take on more automation and and reduce opex and reduce you know errors and things like that with with automation. If you if you can do that in a, a proof of concept network, I mean, it doesn't matter whether V six is that that's great for our purposes. You know, we're here touting V six, but if you have a proof of concept lab that allows you to do that then you can you know sort of take advantage of that if it happens to come from you needing to adopt v6 you're, but you're also getting the benefit of, of being able to test out some some ways in which you're going to automate processes and automate you know network architecture and configuration then yeah it's like it's a twofer and i, I would i would think most organizations would would be happy to get that that extra benefit
1: mm-hmm. yeah that makes sense to me and and i think you know organizationally maybe that investment in automation to help you move move things around in a little bit more seamless way is going to make sense otherwise you probably go old school build certain VLANs, you know v4 only build mm-hmm. other ones dual stack build other ones yet again v6 only and mm-hmm. then just understand what those boundaries are at least document them well hopefully document the well mm-hmm. have them in a wiki or something where Everyone understands where they need to deploy the things that they need to to test and operate, which might require more virtual machines in your environment. But that's okay because they're just virtual, right? So,
2: mm-hmm.
1: more than likely, you're going to have run a you know run some sort of virtual environment. So uh, that's that's just want to highlight that for folks that it's one of those things you think about if, but it's a great excuse to be able to use to get your automation project kicked kick off and also to prove that you can do it that way mm-hmm. within a proof of concept lab. It's actually a great it's 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 it seems to match up well. How's that? Yeah. Yeah. I guess if you're beta
3: testing a new version of the software, maybe you could get from the vendor some demo licenses or beta licenses of that next generation software version, you know, and you're working with your vendor and you're probably looking at their roadmap of V6 features. So maybe you could have a cooperative agreement where, Hey, maybe the vendor gives you some licenses or versions of software or even equipment that you can run in your lab to validate the features that they're developing. So you're testing and helping them. They're helping you by maybe giving you something for your proof of concept lab that you didn't have to pay for. So you might have a
1: cooperative agreement like that that might help out. Yeah, and that that, that makes sense to me. And it also means that, like you mentioned earlier, when you're picking up smaller appliances, things like mm-hmm. that, they they may be having smaller sets of of code testing that they would like to see because they're mm-hmm. trying to roll out new new v6 features and mm-hmm. it might be something on your roadmap that you're looking to try and test or you want that's a really good opportunity to do that and I, I think a good example of that um that's done more in the public space is maybe like how meraki did their v6 beta
3: mm-hmm.
1: uh beta components because that was a that was like an optional thing right to sign in mm-hmm. for uh, meraki's beta to, mm-hmm. to sort of be like hey can we get v6 to work within our environment and you could You could carve out a portion of your, you didn't have to have all your Meraki devices on the beta, right? You could just choose
0: where you wanted to test that stuff. So you could just have that stuff in your proof of concept lab test and see if it worked the way you wanted it to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We paused the podcast to tell you about sponsor SixConnect. SixConnect's ProVision network provisioning platform is a collection of next generation automation tools helping service providers and enterprises update how they do network provisioning working with bare metal containers on prem in the cloud six provision can help provision is modular and api first which which means it's flexible ops folks can use provision to deliver whatever sort of provisioning platform they need to to make the business they support happy Okay, I said modular, so let's talk about some of these ProVision modules. There is the Resource Manager. Track everything from cross-connects to customers in one place, or simply tie into existing systems, including external authentication for low effort automation. And then there's the IP Address Manager with full IPv4 and v6 support, handling everything from subnets to host, and it can even help you cope with duplicate and overlapping IP address space. The DNS controller supports several DNS platforms, and that gives you a single pane of glass for DNS provisioning, even if you deal with multiple DNS platforms at the same time. The ProVision DHCP controller integrates with several different DHCP platforms and services for hybrid deployments and handles multi-tenancy and detailed controls. And then there's the Peering Manager. That's a bridge for router configuration and email comms related to peering. It is integrated with PeeringDB, and that ensures that exchange information is consistent and that peering coordinators get a one-stop shop for BGP session management and human coordination without touching a command line. And you get the idea here. We're just scratching the surface to give you a taste of the network automation and provisioning platform you can build with SixConnect's ProVision. Would you like to know more? Well, of course you would, and you can do that at sixconnect.com slash packet. That is sixconnect with the number six dot com slash packet. Once more for API first automated network provisioning that can bring together many different systems in your provisioning stack. Sixconnect with the number six dot com slash packet. And now back to the podcast. Then you run into the issue
2: that uh, you know there's there's kind of the level of testing that does does it work, and I think we probably when I think about proof of concept testing. Proof of concept lab testing—that's kind of where my mind goes. I'm like thinking, well, is this you know does this particular application work? Does this particular configuration of the network deliver traffic? I may it—I have to think a little bit extra to bring in the performance aspect of it. To think, you know, well, does it perform? And because that—that's the other issue. It's one thing, and this is where if you can have a virtual lab with, let's say, a, a revision of code that the vendors provide you a virtual version of whatever the the middle box or the router is that you're throwing up in the virtual lab just to see if you can configure it in IPv6 or IPv6 only and it works and it's passing packets but it's really hard to test at scale and i don't know how, you know, significant mm-hmm. that is that's going to depend on your organization and and what what you're doing and your, with your network and what your mission critical applications are and how well they need to perform but it is another level of testing that, you know, does require a certain sort of different thought process and and maybe even a different complement of gear to be able to do
3: Yeah, because maybe you're just proving the concept. You're proving the theory. Can I accomplish this with the versions of software that I have? Or will this even work? You know, how would I make a V6 only desktop? You know, how would I turn off V4? That's a concept. How would I make that work? And then, yeah, how do I do that at scale? Because if you're doing performance testing, then you need the big packet flamethrower hardware device Mm -hmm. that can generate many, many gigabytes of traffic throughput to test your 10 gig, 40 gig, 100 gig, whatever, you know, and that takes some serious hardware.
2: It does. And the thing is, you you know, your management might be like, well, hey, we gave you this budget, (laughs) ha ha ha. We gave you this budget for B6 <laughs> proof of concept testing and you, you know, you put it all out there and you tested it and everything, you know, you said everything worked and now it just, we put it into production and it all fell over. It's like, well, I, I tested the concept, as you say, Scott, it's, you know, well, the, the concept is, mm-hmm. does the configuration work? Uh, so that could, that's, that's a potential risk mm-hmm. there. I, I think, you know, you need to communicate upstream that, that th- there may not be the opportunity to test everything at scale. And depending on what you're trying to do with your network, that's, that's a risk.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think I think the other problem is naturally for all of these ranges, like we mentioned before, it's just resources, right? It, it, the likelihood that you're going to get a one-for-one resource match with what's in your production network is probably pretty small, right? I mean, there are some shops that do that, and and hats off to them. And if you get to work in that environment, you know, you're 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 pretty fortunate because mm-hmm. because it's it's a little bit unusual that you see you know a one-for-one for <laughs> and you're not getting any
2: work. work done because you're working on all your certifications. <laughs> <laughs>
1: We've never walked in and seen like a production network that looks like a CCIA lab. I don't know what you're
3: talking about, so
1: <laughs> but yeah, I, I think that's I think that's the other the other side of the coin, right? is that you can obviously go um, if you if you are fortunate enough to have all of that, you can validate all the way to the yeah we've got a working configuration that will work, and it matches exactly to our production environment. And I can sort of stamp on this thing that yeah, we're ready to go that we can we can have a cutover and turn up turn, we've actually tested turning this up or turn tested the automation to roll and deploy all of this. And we know how to roll it back and like, you can do all of that. And if you're fortunate enough to work at a shop like that, that's pretty cool. Um, yeah, it's pretty, it's a pretty neat experience, but I would say typically that's not what we see. <laughs> yeah.
3: That dovetails into the topic about where the lab is connected. It, you may <laughs> be using like a, a part of the connectivity off your production, you know, internet perimeter. You may be able to pull a public segment off and route a different part of your you know, global IPv6 prefix to this lab. Like you peel off just a, a slash 48 or something for the lab. And it has the same internet connect, IPv6 internet connectivity that you intend to bring through the production perimeter, but it's kind of peeled off there. I've seen some organizations build, bring in a brand new circuit from a specific service provider, Hmm. disaggregate a slash 48 of their, their global unicast address and advertise it just out that one ISP. And then that is a completely physically separated, logically separated lab environment, but it has internet access. Mm -hmm. And then they can replicate perimeter defense strategies, interior core, you know, I've on-premises data center
1: access, wired wireless access in this isolated environment. Right. I've seen uh, mm-hmm. very similar to that one. The last one you mentioned, Scott, was uh, we've actually set this up for a customer was uh, actually using Hurricane Electric and getting a 40 from them uh, mm-hmm. through their tunnel broker service mm-hmm. so that they didn't have to disaggregate any portion of their existing allocation mm-hmm. right they yeah. just got a net new 48 but they could it's super easy to write firewall rules just you know hey mm-hmm. this 48 that we were delegated from hurricane and can only talk to ours and back and forth and so it makes it you know you can make it super secure but that's one thing i mean you made that dovetails to, to yeah. a question for tom which is what should address planning look like for <laughs> a perfect but, concept
3: plan? yeah because that relates to tom's previous point about yeah, you may not have the same performance in the lab that you would have in production because you're using a tunnel or a smaller amount of bandwidth for the lab. But yeah, the address planning, how how would you,
2: yeah, what addresses you, you really, should you use? Yeah, like the one for one thing. I mean, it's difficult to do and and I don't know, I mean, arguably unnecessary. I mean, there, there's so much about the address plan that, that's sort of the abstract high level view of the network and, and you're trying to instantiate as much of that as you can as you deploy IPv6. But yeah, whether or not you can do that in, in, in a proof of concept lab, whether or not that's necessary, uh, that's really going to depend on the organization and the, the level of comfort they have, um, you know, with with being able to think abstractly about their designs and their architecture and, and knowing that that's going to translate into the real world. So, I, you know, I, I personally wouldn't lose any sleep over, you know, not being able to, to really, because I mean, let's face it, I mean, there's just, as you suggested before, Ed, there's some shops out there where it's like they're going to build they're going to basically replicate their entire production network. You know, and then you might have an opportunity to to sort of validate what you've done with the address plan in the real world. but more realistically, for most organizations, they're not going to have that opportunity, and and I don't know how necessary it is. I would say not not directly related to address planning, but you know i I can recall having given advice in the past, it's like,, well, what do we do with the, you know ULA? what is this this is kind of this vest it's turning into this vestigial. Uh, address type in in V6 because of other problems that it has. And so I think in the past I've said, hey, you know, if you're doing a lab, if you're putting a lab together, maybe that's a good opportunity to use ULA. But of course, with the recent article that you published, Ed, I I rethink everything related to ULA. And so, you know, maybe it's a good opportunity to say, to, you know, wave folks off from from thinking that way, like, ah, we're going to do a lab and let's just throw some ULA in there. And of course, the number one reason for that is it doesn't work in a dual dual stack environment.
1: Proof of a bad concept. Yeah, proof <laughs> of a bad concept. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think I, I think to this point is if you have the opportunity and you're 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 making an ad, address allocation request, think about a proof of concept lab. Like yeah. what do you want to represent out of that? And maybe that's the message that we we have everyone take home. Is like, oh yeah, you can you can you can do a set-aside for a lab purpose and and don't undersize your lab. Don't think that you have to starve right. your lab. Request spaces. Yeah, go yeah. get the right amount of space.
2: Absolutely. Well, and to, and to your point, it's you know maybe it's not necessary to replicate the entire um, uh, address plan in a lab environment. It may be very advantageous to replicate some portion of it, and that mm-hmm. may only be possible if you have that that space set aside. If you've you know like and so as an example of what you're talking about, uh, you know if I have a if I have a 32 from my on-premise network. And I know that I'm gonna do a proof of concept lab. It's not it's not completely bonkers to think, well, maybe I'll have us another thirty-two that I could use to replicate any aspect of that on premise network that I'm you know, I've got the first thirty-two that I've 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 sort of planned out to use. Mm-hmm. And and some you know, some portion of that I wanna I wanna replicate it with the exact same, you know, prefix alignment that, you know, the other thirty two is is how that's configured and, and how I've sort of planned that out. So, you know, it. Most people would be paranoid about doing that at first blush because they're like, well, it's just a lot of space and I'm, you know, I'm only going to be using it intermittently and I, I can, I'm not replicating my entire lab or my entire production network in a proof of concept lab. So I don't want to have that much space just sort of lying around fallow. But the reality is, is that's what the space is for. If it if it helps you mitigate the risk of deploying, you know, your your IPv6 network and and doing it in a way that, you know, meets your needs, then it, it's it, you've gotten the value out of that resource and and you should, you should take advantage of that.
3: Yeah. Well, that, yeah. What would be the risk of just, let's say you got a 32 and then build your lab out using that 32 and then prep the configs for, for production. When it, once it goes into production, then decommission the lab or sever it. So you don't have duplicate addresses. Yeah, or, or just simply just
1: request the additional thirty two, <laughs> and then you true. don't have to change yeah. anything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and then you're good to go. You just uh, put okay. a route policy rule in place. Right. I, I, I see. think, yeah. yeah, I think the other way to think about it is is uh, from a sort of structural and strategic advantage is that you're really reducing reducing risk by doing this, mm-hmm. right? By by putting in that that additional request and 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 operating something that way. It also allows you to test things from an end to end perspective of just, you know, the automation tools become a little bit easier. You're probably only having to change a single set of upper nibbles for the 32 to transform from one to the other. And then mm-hmm. the other consideration about it is that uh, you can do full load tests uh, and know, and even if you're stubbing out portions of the network, you can still allow it to take all the routes that you would normally take in from a partner network or anything else like that and actually have that fully reflected within your lab topology. Yeah uh, from a proof of concept basis, which I think is really important. I, I think this is something people forget, is that there are impacts around around that side of it and making sure all your filters and your firewall rules are working, right? Mm-hmm. That you're getting matches across that sort of stuff. And you can mm-hmm. use packet generators to do to, to to sort of validate how that's all gonna work. Mm-hmm. And that's probably that's probably a whole different show, just like testing and validation. It's <laughs> just talking mm-hmm. like some of the challenges that can that can happen with that. But I don't. I don't know. Is there other technical considerations we think about? I mean, what what about resources? Are there other resources we need in the proof of concept? I mean, Scott, you were early on you mentioned like DNS, yeah. mm-hmm. DHCP. Are there? I think like identity is a big thing that you're going to need having your proof of mm-hmm. concept lab. Maybe an a, a interconnect to like a cloud provider if that's something that you're you're doing, or maybe VPN or SD WAN. Like I don't know. What what's your guys' thoughts on that? Yeah, malware defenses. Any you know, uh, you in security, and security malware prevention. <laughs> System proxy uh, proxy services, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, 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 and then your load balancers, everything else.
2: and you can, you know, there's there there are providers that that are offering services that that you can. You know, it's another opportunity to put them on the spot for what level of v six support they're offering for their configuration to be. You know, to yeah, be able and to then test it in your
1: lab as opposed to testing in your production. Yeah, exactly.
2: You know, it's yeah. like, hey, you know, this, and and as you as you pointed out earlier, that there's a there's a virtuous cycle there potentially. You know, you're helping the vendor; they're help they're helping you. You're testing their claims; so they're also getting an opportunity to to make sure that everything works and. In the wild, you know, sort of in the wild, in the semi-wild, until it actually goes into
1: production. Yeah, with a, with a lower risk, there's it's not yeah. a business act, impact to your organization, so they can invest in with you to to make that stuff work in that way for 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 sort of that, and and know that the risk is lower for both them and for you guys, right? That's right. right. That's that's the big reason right. that most vendors are not willing to do that on an ongoing basis because so yeah. the risk is too high. They're like, we're going to lose you as a customer if things go sideways, mm-hmm. and that's that's not what they want.
3: Another thing you may need for your lab is if you just Disregarded, completely disregarded Tom's good advice from two minutes ago. You decided to use 2001 <laughs> DB832 for your lab. Right. Guess what? Now you need a NAT66 box in your <laughs> right. lab. Yeah, this is true. Yeah, you might as well test true.
1: it now. Yeah. <laughs> <Trust> it now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, NAT66, MPTV6, like which options does your platform mm-hmm. actually support? That's the other thing that we didn't talk about is you need to have a checklist to understand what what's actually supported within given sets of platforms in order to understand what you can or can't deploy within your proof of concept lab. And it may, there may be a technology you want to use that doesn't exist within the technology scope of the products that you already have in yeah. use today within your network. And that, that could be a shortcoming that, yeah. that, that would definitely fit in the technical considerations category. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Cause maybe you have a web content filter,
3: you know, prevent people from go to going to malicious sites or, or mm-hmm. just time wasting sites. And you're curious, Hmm. How do my desktops discover that? How do they use that? How does that change happy eyeballs? Does it do happy eyeballs? Is it doing a proxy? Can I make it be that NAT64, stateful NAT64? Can I, you know, how does it work with network connectivity status indicator? You got a, a bunch of questions and a POC lab's the perfect place to test it.
1: Yeah, totally agree. Well, it's so maybe maybe we wrap this up because we've talked about pretty much building like an on-premise, you know, configuration for proof of concept lab, matching one for one for all your gear, et cetera, et cetera. But you know, all the rage, public cloud, right? <laughs> it's, it's it's something like this, something that we could actually run in public cloud. Can we actually build like a proof of concept or or any f- portion of a proof of concept in public cloud? Is that something that we think is even feasible to do? I think I for know. the uh, the. Uh...
2: The, the sort of generic configuration bits and protocol knowledge, you know, the, the, to the extent that you're using your proof of concept network for that, absolutely. Mm-hmm. That's you know, and it, maybe it's a trivial example, but you're running something like Eveng and in, in GCP, and right. uh, and just standing up something that looks like, uh, you know, a, a standard enterprise on-premise architecture. You can you can come pretty close to, to modeling, you know, quite a quite a lot of, of what would be the sort of entry level and, and, you know, beginning to intermediate stage of, of testing out, you know, certainly your knowledge of the protocol and your, know, your operational, you know, ability and agility.
1: Um, right. And, then, and, you and, know, does this work? <laughs> yeah. Does it
2: work? Yeah. Does it work? And does it, you know, do I, do I know enough about it to, to make it work? I think a uh, public cloud is the perfect place
3: to test, right? Because most applications teams have a, dev test environment in parallel to production. And you could just spin up a new VPC, a new, even an account, a whole account. You could spin up a new VNet. You could spin up a new environment, make it yep. dual stack and use your existing CICD infrastructure as code scripts to test it and just make it and then test your scripts in your dev and test environments before it goes prod. It's perfect because you can set up these environments, tear them down, delete them, start new, yeah. and just wash, rinse, repeat. To iterate. Continue yeah. to iterate. Get your configs really well tuned.
1: Uh, perfect place to test. Yeah, I would agree. I, I think it definitely should be on people's radars. If you're if you're looking to start a perfect concept lab, it's actually a, a good way to start off and go a low cost way because maybe yeah. you don't need your lab doesn't need
3: to run twenty four seven. Your lab only needs to run for a few hours, boot up those instances, boot up those gateways, those, you know, virtual security appliances, turn them off or delete them. And the next yep. time you're going to work on the lab two weeks later, start it up, boot up everything, build everything, tear it all down, delete it. You know, Or and, log in
2: two weeks later and realize that you left it on. Oh, it better. been
3: <laughs> <laughs> And I got a supersized instance too.
1: It's uh, never happened to me, by the way. and you find out all you're like doing like you know data replication between like two regions with like crazy costs for
3: oh my gosh that cost me twelve dollars forty (laughs) three (laughs) cents
1: Uh, too funny. Well, at least it's not as long as it's not the two to the hundred twenty eighth. Although I'm sure, uh, I'm sure that uh, Amazon would be happy to for you to pay that bill. <laughs> That's right. Mm-hmm. Anyway, well, cool. Well, I, I think at this point we've we've sort of we sort of wrapped up and had a good discussion around it, and we we probably should parking lot some of the the testing and validation side because I think there's a whole separate discussion just around testing and validation that could be really pretty interesting for for the audience to hear. So we'll mm-hmm. we'll, we'll, we'll park that one. But hey. Unlike v6, we run out of space for the podcast. You can reach uh, IPv6Buzz podcast. Hey, we're on Twitter, at IPv6Buzz. You can also hit up each one of us on Twitter. Tom is at IPv6Tom, Scott is at Scott Hogue, and I'm at eHorley. And thanks for listening to the IPv6Buzz. You can find us on the Packet Pushers or any of your favorite podcast apps. Just search for IPv6Buzz. And if you like the show, please give us a rating on iTunes. And if you like this podcast, we really recommend you check out Heavy Networking, Day 2 Cloud, and the Network Break podcast and all the other great technical content over at packetpushers.net. So long, and until next time, we'll see you on the internet, the IPv6 internet, that is.
0: Thanks for listening to IPv6 Buzz, a podcast devoted to truth, justice, and 128 bits of address space. IPv6.